Hey there, this is Lewis Johnson taking my love of sports into the world of esports. So I'm breaking down what's happening in the esports industry, talking with great guests, influencers, and tracking their personal and professional journeys to see how all of that has influenced where they are now. And in the end, I hope you're inspired. And so with that, welcome to All In With Esports. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another edition of All In With Esports. And I've said this before, when I say we're all in, I mean it. Okay, we are all in. And if you want to check out some of our episodes across the board, not just mine, but some of the other great podcasters here, please uh, check out Esports FPN. You'll find it all right there. I don't know how many episodes I have now at this point. I've got to be over 25 or so. And a lot of them are, are really educationally based. I mean, I hope they all are educating you in some way about the world of esports. It's surely educating me. And, and most importantly, I hope they're inspiring you to see the opportunities that are just growing at a massive rate in your community, domestically, and of course, across the globe. And as we come out of the pandemic, oh Lord, I'm so ready for this thing to be over. I know you are as well. I just think that this industry, the numbers say it's just going to explode even more. And so where is it growing? Everywhere. And so we're going to talk about that more today. I've got a very special guest. I had a chance to chat with her beforehand. I am absolutely inspired. If I was a student again, I'd want to be in her class, okay? But we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Or I'd want my sons, our sons to be in her class. I'll say it like that. I don't think I want to go back to school again. And you probably don't either. But anyway, I got to just say this before we get started here. I have a very special place in my heart. Same for my wife. We have two sons that went through elementary, middle, and high school. And we believe that it was very important to be a part of what they were doing. We were involved in everything. Okay. Worn out, but that's what it was all about because that time is gone. They've been out of school for many years now. It's crazy to think how fast it went, but there's something special about teachers, you know, their passion or their sacrifices that are made for our kids. And, and there's a time, you know, in, in their education, well, they'll spend more time at school with the teachers than they will with us at home. So it's important that our teachers know that they have our, our back, our back, we've got their back. And that they are also people who are giving them the right values that we want them to be prepared for, not just their education, but what comes after that. And listen, it's just they're just important. And not only, not only do we as a society have to, you know, kind of adapt and grow, which is kind of what we raised our boys to do. And I'm sure you raised your kids to think about adapting and growing. We should be preparing our kids to adapt and grow. Right. And so teachers also have to adapt and grow to uh, the changes across so many fronts in our society. And that would include technology. I remember hearing about oh, several years ago, hearing about the first all computer, all laptop classroom that popped up in my school district, which is the Grapevine Colleyville Schools. We're just outside the DFW airport. And one of my favorite, one of our favorite teachers, oh my gosh, Jeanette Fink, I am dropping your name today. She was an elementary school teacher. She had our son, Lucas, and he was just connected to her. And we became connected to her and her family. Great people, Jeff and Jeanette Fink. But Jeanette Fink was a great teacher, uh, a great advocate for education, great advocate for kids. And I believe she was a part of that new technology test that where they had an all laptop classroom. And it was kind of a first big deal. And so we were just excited to see that happen. And in this episode, I'm going to introduce you to someone who has a clear passion for kids, for teaching and has embraced technology and esports. all right? Now, I need to speak quickly to some of you parents out there. Uh, all right, you're still hesitating with this whole uh, esports and gaming and video thing. What's up with that? Why? 
Okay. If you go back into my list of shows and listen to some of the shows that I've, I've taped before, you're going to find many, many reasons why you don't need to keep fighting your kids about gaming and esports. You really don't. Okay. The one of the biggest things I found is just the act of inclusiveness. Okay. We're bringing kids maybe out of that quiet room by themselves. Maybe they're introverts. You know, esports is great for including them. You know, we always are so caught up in the traditional sports, football, basketball, baseball, all that kind of stuff. And I did track and it was great, but there's a whole society, a whole segment of kids who are in a room by themselves and esports is a great way to pull them out and get them included. Okay. So it's not just about inclusiveness. It's about educational and career opportunities globally. All right. And that's what you want your kids to be ready for. Right. Lord, let me stop. I just got to welcome in Daniel Johnson, who is, who is somebody I want you guys to listen to today. She's a teacher at Barbara Bush Middle School in the Carrollton Farmers Branch School District. For those of you not in this area, that is just one of the many school districts in this uh, greater Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Uh, she teaches 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, career and technology. And she is the executive director of the Texas Scholastic Esports Federation. Danielle, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I was so inspired by our conversation leading up to this, this podcast that you just said so many things. And I think we could probably talk for like two or three hours. You had so many things that you have been experiencing in your life as a, as a person, as an athlete, and then, and then into being a teacher. It was so, so cool. But before we get uh, too far down the line here, what, what in general inspired you to become a teacher? What, what was it about that that you wanted to do? I don't really know, actually. So as when we talked before, I told you my, I went to school for journalism and I worked in communications for a hot minute, but decided that I wanted to teach. I love history and geology, geography, and all of the civics and civic engagement aspects of that. And I felt really strongly about making sure that our students are educated about civic responsibility. And so I think it was, it was like a public service civic responsibility that mm -hmm. is just really where I felt passionate. And I think that comes from, you know, journalism as the fourth estate and, you know, just making sure that that foundation is really there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. So you felt a greater call on your on your training and on your skills and I guess on your life to really begin to give back at an early age. That is that is very cool. So as a teacher with, I believe you said, sixth, seventh and eighth graders, what are you teaching now in terms of career and technology? What, what's the program like? I teach technology and design or in middle school. The class is called Tech Apps. And I get to make things with kids. I like to give them projects that give them lots of choices, open-ended, let them really express themselves and their voice, but also force them to learn some technology skills along the way, along with the engineering and creative design process. And that, that let's make a prototype. Let's iterate fast. It doesn't matter if your first one barely works, you know, like it's proof <laughs> right. of concept. Let's go. <laughs> right. So things like we do pixel art using Google sheets and they create these beautiful pixel pixel arts, but they are I, I'm not sure what the plural of pixel art would be. I don't either. We'll um, just call it <laughs> pixel art. So we'll, we'll extend the S on it. How about that? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and you are a true process, teacher. You want to get yeah. even the, even, even that right, you know? I want to be accurate. <laughs> of course. Um, 
even through that, they learn so much about how to use spreadsheets. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff. We do a lot of building in Minecraft. I get set on fire a lot in Minecraft. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kids are so fun because they want to play games with you and they want to, they troll you so hard. But once you get through it, like, I mean, the trolling is fun, but it is, it is just so fun. But that's the kind of thing that we do in my class. They do documentaries, brand design. If you can think of something creative and expressive, and there's any aspect of technology to it. I probably tried it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's worth reiterating here that you're talking about middle school, not high school, yes. middle school, which is really yeah. early on. And I'm wondering in your career as a teacher, like I mentioned our, our good friend, Jeanette Fink, who was a teacher for our boys. We've been going back 10, 15 years, 10 years ago. You know, I guess I could say that. But when did you see kind of a shift to go harder toward technology? I mean, in middle school, I mean, to, to these things that you're talking about, did you kind of see a shift uh, move that way? The process across the state, or at least our Metroplex in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I've worked in four different school districts in the region. And my when I began teaching in 2006, I had an overhead projector and a green grade book <laughs> and had to share a room and a computer with somebody else. And you know, to now where every single kid has their own device, K through 12, you know, it it went in fits and starts. I remember my first one-to-one classroom was in 2007, 2007. And the next school that I went to did not have laptops for every kid. And when I made the shift to middle school, we, middle school is kind of at the tail end of most planning. So it's always, you know, high school and graduation, and then it's literacy and numeracy and math skills. And so middle school is usually at the, at the end of the line for a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And this Google for Education project project came along and my school and school districts became part of, it was called the Dynamic Learning Project, but it is now what is called the Google Education or Certified Coaches, Google for Education Certified Coaches Program. And that actually spurred my school district to go one-to-one with middle school almost immediately. And I spent three years being an instructional coach in the classroom, helping teachers learn how to use technology in different and creative ways in their class and in their lesson. So that actually, it was two and a half years of that and COVID. So we were actually... My, my campus, my school district and my campus in particular were very, we were able to pivot very quickly. And because of these Google programs, I had a network of teachers across the world that I was in contact with and was able to talk to teachers that were in Asia and had been closed for, you know, a month to six weeks already. Yeah. And figure out how they were doing it and what was working, what wasn't. And so we went into our school closure in the spring with a plan of action and, you know, all the kids had the tech, all the teachers knew how to use it. But so it's been over my 15 years in education. It has gone from how I had education growing up, which was the overhead projector. You know, the teacher sits on her high stool with her vis-a-vis markers and, or the chalkboard or whiteboard and, you know, the green grade book where thank goodness my parents could not check my grades every day. Oh, um, right, right. Because you know what? We were man. parents, we were on that system every day. <laughs> oh yeah, I am with my son too. But to what we have now, which is 
my sixth graders coming in next year aren't even part of Gen Z. They're Gen Alpha. And they were, yeah, they are the children of millennials. They were born entirely in the 21st century. They've had a social media footprint since before they were born because all their, all their sonogram pictures are online. Uh, That's Um, right. Oh my God. I can't think about that. And one of the things to kind of bring it back to esports is Gen Alpha doesn't watch sports. Young Gen Z kids don't watch sports. Gen Alpha definitely doesn't watch sports because they are a collaborative generation. They want mm. to do with. And esports is something you can actually connect with your favorite players. You can interact with your favorites during their streams and actually have like them shout you out on their streams and have that chat conversation, have that digital conversation. That's another characteristic of Gen Alpha is over their lifetime, most of their relationships will be through a virtual medium. Wow. An entire generation who is completely connected to this, as you mentioned, digital footprint footprint or digital experience in their lives. That's that's just amazing. I never thought about that. We're talking, having a great conversation here with Daniel Johnson. He's a teacher at the Barbara Bush Middle School, also the executive director of the Texas Scholastic Esports uh, Federation. And you're just sharing with how you got connected with esports, but we could step back for just a just a bit and kind of just go back to a bit of your journey. You grew up in the Colleyville, Texas area. You said both of your parents were coders back in the 80s before that was cool. So what were you experiencing in terms of technology? May not have been esports per se, but what were you experiencing there that maybe inspired you early on? We always had technology around our house. My parents would bring things home. They would test things out. And as like I said, they were coders in the 80s before it was cool. And as they were able to advance in their careers, you know, they got to bring things home and test them out or had at least interactions with the most like advanced technology that there was at the time, especially for home consumption. And so we always had that around the house. As soon as the, you know, Nintendo and Super Nintendo came around, we we had them at home. My parents thought they were fun. And so we had those. I remember my first personal console, which was a Sega Game Gear. It was the around the same time as the Game Boy, a little bit later, but it had a color and a backlit screen. And so, you know, it was just cooler, which I got at the original Babbage's in Grapevine, which is, you know, now the GameStop, GameStop headquarters. Um, oh, I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. That way back in the day. Yeah. But yeah. So one of the things that that I didn't realize that my parents influenced me about growing up was the role of women in the workplace and in technology. So mm-hmm. I always thought the message of women can have careers in tech too was a little off for me because I never thought they couldn't. And my, some of my dad's like work colleagues, they were incredibly brilliant women. My mom was a phenomenal, still is a phenomenal coder. She can barely work an iPhone, but man, (laughs) COBOL, she got that. That I realize now had a really big impact on me because there was never a place that I thought I couldn't be. And because my mom had been there and even even things like changing workplace dress codes so that women could wear pants was something mm-hmm. my mom championed in her workplace when I was growing up. And so it was just never, it was never scary for me. You know, yeah. it didn't feel like a risk to walk into a place where 
it was all, you know, men with tech backgrounds and feel completely like I su- I'm supposed to be there. That's how it yeah. always felt. Yeah. And, and that's incredibly powerful. We have to stick on this for a second because not just for what you discovered, thanks to your mom, but it's you understanding that in a classroom that has not just boys, but also girls. And so how can you in, dire- in an indirect way, I guess, without stepping out of the role of being a teacher, and not being a parent, but you are modeling for them with spirit and attitude and then with messaging to them about how they can also do the same thing the boys are doing, not just right now, but as they move into high school and move into a career. That's very powerful. I- I've got to assume that is part of, of, of what you try to teach through your spirit. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And it really is. I remember being in middle school and taking industrial tech, which mm-hmm. is was eventually called shop class. And then now we call it makerspace. And it was all boys, right? Yes. And my, I was so excited to be there. That was what I wanted to take. And I was kind of ignored and that had a kind of, it had an effect on me. And now being teaching that same subject in middle school, I know that the girls are not ignored, you know, and I know that the girls feel like their place is there and like me, never thought it wasn't. Yeah, very powerful. We can't leave out your education. Uh, you went on to Baylor uh, where you did pursue your journalism degree and you played, did you play softball there as well? No, I played softball all through high school. Both my parents were were okay. athletes, okay. baseball and softball. My mom was my, my first coach for the first six years of cool. my athletic career. And that was another thing. She was the only female coach. Yeah. So I never, I never thought I couldn't and never yeah. thought I shouldn't do things because yeah. that was the role model I had. Yeah. So, so uh, very I, powerful. Yeah. So I went to Baylor and then got my journalism degree and I started working in communications right after college, doing technology, doing websites at the very beginning of social media marketing, because this is 2005 and the very beginning of Google's pay-per-click, their ad, AdWords and ad, ad stuff, but felt bored being at a desk. I like to be moving around. I don't like every day to be the exact same. And, you know, I was young. So I was like, ah, I'm going to go be a teacher. Yeah. You know, Daniel, we, we share that in common because um, again, we all have our different drives, passions and interests, what have you. But I've, I've often said that, you know, I, and I, I don't know if I'd make it in, a, in an office job. That's just me. Nothing looking down anyone like that because we all have our own different things. But I enjoy the fact that we can go on the road and travel and every day is different. Every broadcast we do is different. And it's kind of like that instant gratification type thing because we go, we set up, we execute a show and it's all over. But it's so, it's so amazing how we are all are so different in terms of personality, but the preparation to find that career that is fulfilling as well as can take care of you can be a real challenge. And so these early years of education and having the right teachers in front of you, inspiring you, showing you the way are really, really, really important. Along with uh, what you're teaching in terms of esports now, because you're the executive director of the Texas Scholastic Esports Federation, how in the world did that happen? Because you've not really traditionally, (laughs) you're not really a a big time traditional esports gamer, right? No, I'm not. Um, It happened on accident. By accident? Um, Yeah, (laughs) actually, totally on accident. Um, One of the things about teachers is we will do some things that we really have no business doing (laughs) because our students want it or because our students need it. And that is a lot how this happened. I was in edu- I was at an education conference and I heard someone say that in esports we should start different 
leagues or different teams for girls and boys. So girls don't get harassed. And I was like, that's wrong. Like, I don't play these games, but I do know a little bit that's wrong. And also in the summer, uh, that was summer of 2019. And also in the summer of 2019, there were a couple of incidents in like the esports world around sexism and harassment that I was like, my, my son who is in third grade is an avid gamer. And I just kept thinking that is not a culture I would want my son to be a part of, or I will allow him to be a part of and realize I was in a position that I could change it. So even though I didn't know esports, like many other times, I jumped into something I probably didn't have a whole lot of business doing, (laughs) but I can organize people. And I knew that organizing teachers in Texas to build something different and to implement esports in schools in a different way was the only way that there would be something there for my son. Well, you know, and my students, um, sure, sure. of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of how it started. I came home from some stuff over the summer of 2019 was like, I'm going to try this. And that's where we are. <laughs> and that's where you are. And so you're organizing, not just in your school, but other teachers around the state. So as the executive director of the Texas Scholastic Esports Federation, what were some of the most important changes you wanted to make, especially to make sure that girls were not in situations where they're being intimidated or, you know, something wasn't working right? I mean, esports and gaming is for everybody and and they should have just a fair opportunity without any sort of harassment like anybody. So what were you trying to tweak or change to make it better for everybody? Once I started getting deeper into this community of esports educators, of which there is a big community across the country, I learned that most of the the educators in this space were passionate about it in the same way I was, and that their programs were already being built to be inclusive. And they were doing, you know, as much as they could to recruit and maintain girls and students of color in their programs. But one of the biggest barriers that we as a collective group kind of knew was the cost. And that is the biggest difference that we are trying to make is to keep these programs free for every student. There are a couple of platforms that are in this space really trying to cater to K-12 and they charge per student per game, which for six people on an Overwatch team, that's, you know, could be $360, which either a student or in a lot of cases, as have happened over the past few years, a teacher pays. Yeah. And so that is one of the biggest changes that we are working to implement both in Texas and across the United States is that we want to keep these programs free. Yeah, I, I love I, I love that because that goes right back to the word I used uh, in, when I was first opened the podcast talking about inclusiveness. Right. Mm-hmm. And there may be school districts like maybe where I live or where you live, where most could pay. for, But there are surely going to be kids, even in some of the best school districts who may struggle to pay that or parents may not be able to pay it. And I love the idea that you're aware of that and trying to find ways to raise money, which makes me think about all the. <laughs> All the uh, PTA meetings we went to and the band boosters and and debate boosters. So, I mean, it seems like the next logical thing. Does it already exist? Esports boosters? We are building a starter plan for what we are calling family guilds, esports family guilds. Okay. Um, Going a little bit a different direction with it. But yeah, creating booster club 
organizations for your student's school if they want to have an esports program is the number one thing families can do yeah. for the advancement of these programs. It not only shows that there is parent support behind it and parents have the most power in public education. It shows that there are there's some parent power behind it. It builds an institutional structure around it so it doesn't revolve around a single teacher. So if a teacher starts a program at a school, you know, can build a phenomenal program, but if that teacher leaves and it's not an institutionally supported program, the program ceases to exist. Right. And it also can operate and do a couple of things that schools don't really like to do, which is, you know, make purchase orders to steam. That's like not something we're ever going to be able to really do, but a, a parent's guild can, you know, foot the bill for some games off steam and not have it be a whole like marathon of paperwork. Right. And I know that, you know, in a bureaucracy like an educational system, I mean, paperwork can probably be insane. And for those who are listening who aren't in the education space or maybe not involved with esports, STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art and math. So those are all kind of the buzzwords or tag words that are important, which is why at the beginning of the podcast, I said, you know, for a lot of the families and parents out there, you you, you could probably stop fighting this whole esports thing with your kids and try to figure out, understand what they're doing, why they're connected to it. And then the next step that we as parents have responsibility to is to find out what are the opportunities for you or for your kid if they have an interest in almost anything. There's probably some connection to esports, right? So that's why STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts and math is so important. So you guys are doing your thing here in Texas. And you were telling me about 14 other states with teacher run leagues and some of the cool things they were doing. So what's going on around the country in some of these other states? The Minnesota Varsity Esports League has an amazing student work program, I guess. They're, all their employees are high school students. And so these students do the social media. They do the, the clipping of the games to create the highlight reels. They do the live stream of the game production and shoutcasting, and they all get paid for it. So between 15 and $25 an hour, which I mean- High school or middle school? What yeah, high school. Really? 15 to $25 yeah. an hour? I mean, beats working at McDonald's. Wow, absolutely. And no, and, no, and, and not, not nothing to say negative against McDonald's, but I mean, wow. So mm-hmm. making that kind of money in high school because you're now working in this esports program and helping to produce and, and disseminate some of the content you're creating. We actually have students that work for professional teams. There is such a scarcity of qualified people in the esports industry. And by qualified, I mean understand the network of how ideas and information spread in this space. Um, And high schoolers are uniquely positioned to actually know that, that there are professional companies and professional esports organizations that hire high schoolers and train them. That's how Mm. few people are qualified to do this, which is one of our main drivers in creating this is the number of jobs in esports and in gaming is astronomical, Mm. but is growing faster than there is an employee base for. And as a public school teacher, my responsibility is 
in essence, to create the next workforce. Right. And so that is what we are trying to do. Even if we have to drag our school districts kicking and screaming with us, these are the opportunities I want to see for my students and that all teachers want to see for their students. Most students in Texas go to a Title I school, which is a school that is deemed low income by the number of students on free and reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. And so, well, and the Texas is a minority majority state. And so we're, we're looking at the math here. The more programs we have in Texas for these jobs that are in Texas, the more we are going to change the industry because it is going to be students from diverse backgrounds that speak multiple languages that are going to be advancing and be employed in the industry, mm-hmm. not in the next 10 years, in the next year. Yeah. And so that is what... That is how we change an entire industry and an entire culture yeah. is yeah. we are bringing up, you know, the next generation and our, our motto at Texf, you know, Tex, Texas, Scholastic Esports Federation, Seth, <laughs> is better humans through gaming. That's better humans through gaming. I love mm-hmm. that. I love and that. And we are trying to create an educated and empathetic and diverse employee and consumer base for this industry that is centered around Texas. Wow. Fantastic. Now I'm going to say something and you are not allowed to comment it. Okay. So just zip it. Don't say anything. This is me talking, not you. Okay. Yes, sir. This is exactly why I wish that this, this teach to the test, these national, these, these, uh, Texas state standard test would go away because what you just said is so powerful about preparing kids for the next steps in their lives and to adapt to what the economy or what the world is doing and teaching to a test and teaching kids to try and you know, you, you force teachers to try and have to teach the test to prepare them to get these good numbers, to be able to get the funding they need. I just find that to be the wrong way to educate our kids. That's my comment. You're not allowed to comment on it because I don't want you to have any kind of <laughs> backlash on it. But as a parent, I've been there and seen that. So I just wish that we could get more to what you just talked about, realistic preparation for what's really happening out there. And uh, if anybody has a comment about that, you can hit me up on social media. It's all good. I have no problem with that. One of the other things you mentioned before we wrap up, I thought was extremely important. You talked about the impact esports has on kids coming together, those who are migrating from elementary school to middle school. And then you can imagine from middle to high school, but from where you are in middle school, what has been the impact of gaming to help kids kind of get settled into a new community? And how has gaming helped them do that? As you, everybody knows or can imagine, going into the 2020 school year was a challenge. In Texas, most schools started at home for a while before transitioning to a dual situation where some of the students are in person, some of the students are online, but they're all at the same time. And so for the sixth graders this year, they ended their fifth grade year in March because of a pandemic where in our area in the Dallas Fort Worth area, we have a transient population. And so there was a, you know, where people live shift all of a sudden. And then to start a school year where, you know, multiple elementary schools are coming together, lots of students that didn't go to a local elementary school are getting brought into this, what is normally a very vibrant and welcoming community. We do a lot to make sure that our new students and our, you know, the students that are were just promoted to 
sixth grade felt really welcome and comfortable and safe at our school. And that wasn't something we could do this year. Yeah. And esports helps in an amazing way. I can't, it's hard to describe. When I announced that we were going to have a Rocket League team for the fall, I had 120 students show up to my virtual meeting. Hmm. And granted, in a school of 700, that's a lot of kids. Right. right. And it wasn't just boys, wasn't just girls, wasn't just our English first st- students or our multilingual students. It wasn't, it was everybody. And so everybody immediately felt like they could, they could come to this, but forming teams was a challenge, but it was phenomenal because I got to put students together that, you know, they're in the same grade. They live fairly close to each other. They may have gone to different elementary schools and now they're in the same classes, but can't ever see or communicate with each other. Basically. Yeah. Um, I got to put them in play groups, you know, they got to play a game together and, build that bond with them because nothing builds a bond faster than overcoming a struggle or a challenge together. And they, that like fast tracked some, some friendships for a lot of kids. And that has been one of the most fun ways that the kids could actually get to know each other this year. Now we did a lot of games in my classroom. Granted, we spent so much time on Minecraft, man, but having kids actually like compete together is your teammates are your, your fam. I mean, we know that from traditional sports and getting to build that in a time when they don't have a whole lot of connection to school or to each other was unreal. That's very cool. And I, I just can't implore enough, you know, it is so important for us to make the extra effort to make sure that we continue to strive toward being a truly inclusive society, not one on paper or in face, you know, but how can you be truly inclusive? And if esports and gaming is a way to do that, and we see it happen all over the world, then why wouldn't we want that to be a part of our educational system as the kids are now matriculating through? And clearly it's working at the middle school level for sure, because you've proven that by what you're saying. And of course we know in high school and then farther beyond. So the pandemic has really forced a lot of us to everybody to rethink so many things. And I hope that parents who listen to this episode will be inspired by you, Danielle, about what you've said, about your experience, about you really answering your call to teach and to uh, inspire kids and show them the way as a woman, which is so important to inspire the girls in your classroom and and, and demand that fairness uh, for everyone. I've been inspired by what I've heard, and I just hope that you will continue to do what you do. And will you please let us know if there's any way we can partner with you or help you here at MAP Esports Network, because what you're doing is so very important, and we want to see you continue to succeed in the classroom and beyond. Thank you. And I will take you up on that. Okay. I can see an email coming next week on something, right? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Well, it has really been a great opportunity to speak with uh, Daniel Johnson, the teacher at the Barbara Bush Middle School, and she is director of the Texas Scholastic Esports Federation. And I'm sure we're going to be speaking more in the future. And we just hope that everything goes uh, well in her summer as she gets prepared for what we hope will be a normal year next year in terms of people coming back to the classroom. But esports should always be uh, in the middle of everything, because if it's about science, technology, engineering, math and arts, of course, why would you parents not be interested in that? So if you can attend PTA, which you should, 
If you can attend the band camp and band booster camp, which you should. And if you can attend all the other booster things, it's time to support esports booster camp, booster clubs, and make sure that the kids have the resources they need. The teachers shouldn't be reaching in their pocket to fund these programs. And when you have somebody like Daniel Johnson, who was uh, operating this entity at the state level and bringing it right back to her classroom. Let's support her and everybody along the way who are trying to get esports in front of kids and use it in a way that helps prepare them for what the industry is calling for in the next generation of workers. So again, huge thanks to Danielle for coming on and glad I got to meet her and talk with her. We'll talk again. Hope you guys have enjoyed this edition of All In With Esports. As always, we have multiple shows across multiple platforms, a lot of sharp people talking about the business on so many levels, and you can catch all those episodes at Esports FPN. I got to thank my show producer, Sia. Thank you so much, Sia, Aaron, AJ at Innovation Media Enterprises. They always do a tremendous job of helping us bring these episodes to you. So thanks for being with me today. Hope you've been inspired. And let's talk again soon on All In With Esports. Take care, guys. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All In With Esports. Now, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast channel. And we would love to hear from you about this or any other shows on the Esports Future Eye Network.